0: Welcome back to Call Time with Katie Bierenbaum. I hope you enjoyed our last episode with the great multi hyphenate extraordinaire Alex Wise. But I think you're going to really love this episode as well. I've been dying to get this upcoming guest on the pod for a while now. So without further ado, welcome to your earways, Natalie Margolin. Welcome, Natalie.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Katie.
0: I'm so sorry we didn't get to do this in person.
1: I know. Me too. But another time.
0: Another time. time. I was nervous about it anyway because, like, I don't know. I feel like it would be so much harder to have, like, my little notes and my outline and stuff out when I'm actually, like, face-to-face interacting with a person. So
1: this kind of formalizes it, which maybe is better. But also maybe for another time, good it would be nice to deformalize it in a living room.
0: Completely. And that is something that I love about you Natalie. You see both <laughs> sides of everything and you're so articulate and you're able to explain it in a way that I never could. And I think you're right because if, if, if listeners haven't been already able to already tell, Natalie and I are friends, close friends in real life. So maybe that's why this formality is good. How are you doing today? You said you're loving the snow.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm feeling very enchanted by the snow. Kind of destabilizing from yesterday's. Yesterday was 50 degrees. It was beautiful. But it's, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, lo- I'm looking outside my window and the snow is falling and I'm sipping coffee and I'm feeling great. How that's are you doing great. today?
0: I'm doing well. I'm <laughs> sipping my... <laughs> My mom is really gonna laugh at this. Literally, this week I got into a thing where every morning I have hot water with lemon. Because I read that it's
1: extremely healthy, Katie. Extremely healthy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I've been sipping on this whole morning. So mine's a little cold now, but I'm good. Before we get into it all, I should toot your horn a little bit. Natalie grew up in LA before attending Kenyon College, which I have a funny story about that I think you and I have discussed separately, but we should definitely bring into the pod once we discuss Kenyon. There she was on the improv team, but also honed and cultivated her passion for playwriting, which she pursued professionally since. In fact, her first post-college professional play, The Power of Punctuation, premiered off-Broadway and was a New York Stage and Film Founders Award finalist. She was the resident playwright at Colt Kerr NYC in 2018, continuing on as a company member since then, and she was the recipient of the inaugural New Play Residency at She NYC, where her play The Day the Butcher Shop Closed was awarded Best Production. She wrote a play specifically for Zoom during the pandemic entitled Party Hop, which starred Ben Platt, Beanie Feldstein, as well as Friends of the Pod, Francesca Carpanini, Noah Galvin, Catherine Cohen, and Catherine Gallagher. It was written about in the New York Times and has since been licensed and performed at high schools and colleges around the country. And today she's developing a new play All Nighter with Broadway Video on which I have even had the pleasure of working. Is there anything major I missed? No,
1: I think that's great. I think okay, that was a great, great. Thank you so much for that intro.
0: You're welcome. Well, you know, you're one of my favorite artists and people so it's a joy just to just to be able to brag about you I want to start at the beginning I've only had one other playwright on the show my friend Maya McDonald and that was for a special episode to talk about the Heidi Chronicles so given that I haven't really spoken with a playwright about career and trajectory and all that stuff I'm curious what do you think makes a playwright? In other words, what happens like in your childhood or in your exposure to theater to make a person want to write it rather than yeah.
1: perform it? Wow, that's a really good question. I've actually I've never been asked that question in that context before, huh? I mean, I, I guess I'll st- I can start by saying sort of what my entryway into playwriting is, and then maybe try to make a, think of a broader point of what does make a playwright. Yeah. Um I grew up I mean totally in love with the theater just it mm-hmm. deeply part of my identity that I wanted to be like a Broadway actress. I it was it, I think just from a really early age I was exposed to a lot of theater which was also you know a privilege and I just was in love with it and I I you know took Every show I did, every audition at like every youth theater company or every high school production, you know, just a lot of rigor and care and dedication. and I sort of had this I, I used to really love musical theater I mean I still love musical theater. it's a common entryway into the into the medium, I think for a lot of people. but I had sort of this crisis when I turned 13. And I realized that I didn't have a good singing voice and that I was actually never going to be on Broadway as a musical theater singer. Like I I went into a really profound state of sadness because I felt like a part of my identity and who I understood myself to be was somehow taken away because I was like, wow, I can't sing. And this happened when I saw... I saw Wicked, and I was obsessed with Wicked. And my parents took me to see Wicked, and then I watched Dina Menzel do her thing, and I was like, "All I want to do is that," and I can't do that. So then I was such like, a "Well, I
0: will." Moment of like adulthood, I think, because I becoming an adult. I think something like sad and depressing, but also sort of cool about becoming adult is like realizing that people have limitations and that there are some things that you're good at and some things that you're not I just think that's very profound and honestly early to have that revelation about yourself
1: yeah it it I I kind of didn't talk this is it's very dramatic but I didn't really talk for like a week or two like I was and I was a chatty kid like and my parents were like what's going on like we were very actually worried about me and then I did the big reveal. I was like, I can't sing. And to which they're probably like, we know. But yeah, you know, like, Natalie, that's okay. But I think that also at that time when you're, you know, I think that things are different now as far as there's like a lot more courses and offerings in the theater. But I think it, at that time, at that young age, like, all there was was, like, acting. Like, you act, you sang in the, you were in the musical, you acted in the musical. There wasn't, like, a playwriting class or a directing class. There, you know, it was, like, you're either in the play or you don't get in the play. So, yeah, it, it, it shook me. This was at 13. And then I, for, for middle school and high school, I was, like, I'll I will, I will do props or assistant stage manage for every musical. And I will audition for every play. And I did that. and that and I you know some of my best friends are from that like high school community of theater and I and I was like I'm gonna be a play actress I'm gonna act in plays and I did I the drama department was like you can be in one musical and talk the songs just and be a character actress and I was like sure I'm finding my niche here and I went to college And I wanted to be a drama major. I went to liberal arts school. I went to Kenyon College. In the intro to drama class, there's a playwriting component that you had to take to be a drama major. And I felt extremely insecure about writing, actually. The high school that I went to was very intense and competitive. And obviously, the analytical essay is something, you know, they teach and it's a formula and it's a structure. And my brain was like, it just, I just never, English was both my favorite class, but I never did well. In the analytical essay. And I like, I remember one time I even did like an intro about Wicked. (laughs) And my professor was like, no, like, this is, this is creative, but not the right intro into this, whatever book we were writing about. But I, I went to college, I was like, I have to take this intro to drama class, and I have to just suck it up and do the playwriting part. And I had to write my very first scene. And what I realized was that I could improvise alone in my head and then edit it. And it was the most liberating, amazing thing. And I slowly started to fall in love with it. And Kenyon had really wonderful playwriting professors. And I mean, just totally opened up. I didn't really even understand. I didn't even really think about playwriting as a career. I didn't really think of it as, I think, both my insecurity about writing. But also, I don't feel that was something that was told to me as a young woman like well you could be a playwright i don't know that wasn't that wasn't relevant to my coming of age in the theater and then to have this door opened at school i felt a shift in my identity in some ways but it sort of is in, in the best way in, in the growing up sort of way in a very formative way and i have yeah just really and then i wrote my first play there my senior thesis and that was what went um, off Broadway a few years later with the same group of people, which was really amazing. Incredible. I, I did not know think that
0: about improv. That I mean, I knew you did improv in college, but I didn't know that that's like part of your process. Is that still what you?
1: Yeah, I think to a certain extent. I think it also depends on the play. But I think if I need, I think my instinctive way into a play, if I feel like I'm have writer's block or I'm like, what am I trying to? get out here, you know, I'm like, go be alone. And, and just don't edit yourself and vomit and that and, and vomit the scene. And, and, it, you know, and, and what is that? That's me doing two voices, three voices and that's me imagining and improvising a scene. And that's just, I grew up doing improv. And it's was so such a big part of my life. And I think that that just meshed really well with that. my in into playwriting. I think for a first draft that's that's oftentimes sort of a, a switch that goes on in my brain.
0: I should ask you I was going to ask it later but now that we're on the subject how would you describe your process?
1: I think it varies on what I'm writing about but I think also to your first question of sort of what makes a playwright or what, like I think what playwriting has become as I've grown up a little bit is sort of a necessity for me. You know, it's, it's something that I'm going to do kind of no matter what, because it's, it's, I tend to write when I'm feeling a lot and I need, I, I write what I don't understand about my own life. Like if I have a question about something in my life, what writing has become is my vehicle, like through which I explore that. And so I think sometimes a lot of, the way like a lot of my plays begin are, is me feeling extremely sad or like a feeling, a feeling, a feeling to a great extent. It's in my body. I don't know what to do with that feeling. And then I'm going to vomit a draft and I can write really fast in that time. And I think that's also the improv and the, but I'm just like, but also it's because I'm trying to get out a feeling, I think. And I think oftentimes like for my close friends that I sometimes send my first drafts to, my first question is like, are, is it a diary entry or is it a, or can it be a play and then it, sometimes it's a diary entry and sometimes it's like sure it's a diary entry but let's make it can be, there's something in there that's a play and then my process totally shifts into something a lot more like Aristotelian and like me trying to figure out like what is the art what is you know and then I go in I'm and do so my So glad
0: you brought up Aristotle and Aristotelian on the pod I think you're the first guest <laughs> to do so so congratulations. Oh, really.
1: Yeah. Wow. Shout out to Aristotle. He taught me everything I know. I <laughs> it was very, that was the, what we learned. Like, you know, it was that dramatic structure. And I'm so grateful for it because I think it's so rooted everything I do. Like I, no matter what, like I'm playing with, with form or whatever it may be, like having that sense of like dramatic structure and dramatic action I think everyone should just check in with Aristotle. If you're in if you're trying to write, if you're trying to think about a play to give notes on, if you're trying to like muddle through a draft, it is the best thing to just ground yourself. Really, I love it. I love it.
0: Wow, that first of all, that's such a good pull quote for the pod. Everyone should check in with Aristotle, but I think that's it's a really cool and exciting mix of the formal and informal and structure and no structure and vomiting up your guts and being a good editor, which I find really attractive. So you're saying you learned that more formal dramatization from your classes at Kenyon?
1: Yes, definitely.
0: You have a particularly strong mentor while you were there in playwriting?
1: Yeah, I had an amazing mentor, a playwright named Wendy McLeod. And... She was tough in a really good way. And and I, yeah, I, I actually don't even think I can be articulate about how much I learned in there because it's so formative to everything that I do. And her both like belief in me and the way she pushed me, she's so responsible for so much of like who I am and how I think about plays and process. Yeah, and she was my thesis advisor on the play that I wrote, which I which I, I wasn't going to write my thesis also. I was going to act in my thesis. And at Kenyon, when you're a drama major, senior year, you basically get to put on a show of your choosing. You pair with other drama majors. And oftentimes it's like directors and actors and designers. But no one, it's rare that people write. Maybe that's changed now. Like one, I knew like one or two people that had done it in past years, but I partnered with a female actress, a female director. And we were like, let's find a play that has two strong female characters we both relate to that will be like great for the thesis. And at the time, we couldn't find that play and I had started writing a two-hander in my playwriting class and I my director read it and she was like, let's submit this to the department and see if you can if you can write and act in it and we submitted it to the department, and they were like, "Go for it!" And so my my first play was also developed in deep collaboration. That's another part of my process: collaboration. I think it. I mean, I developed it like with my best friends and this amazing playwriting mentor, and it and it happened to be all women, and it was incredibly amazing. And and how I learned how to write a play in it in, it, in its fullness,
0: which is interesting because I definitely think of. Stereotypically, the playwright, or even just the writer in general, as being the most solitary of the theater people, because ultimately, as you said, you have to sit in a room and like make up the voices yourself and spill it out. And as someone who is an actor and a director, especially as a director, so often when the playwright gets in the room, people are like, <sighs> I really don't want the playwright in here. They don't understand how the work and the collaboration works. They're only used to being by themselves. This sucks. I don't want them in there. So it's so interesting to hear that collaboration and people is such a huge aspect of your process. Do you think you're unique in that
1: way? Do you think of your playwriting as being solitary? I don't think I'm unique in that way. I'm sure a lot of playwrights enjoy the collaboration as much as I do because I think that at least like my relationship to playwriting or my understanding of it is that you can't do it alone. Like you, you must do it alone. But I also believe like you need other people to read your play for it to grow. Nothing I've ever written has succeeded because I spent time alone in my room and didn't share what I was working on with anybody for months. It succeeded because I vomited. I shared it with a smart and generous friend who had wonderful thoughts that pushed me to my next draft. And then I was like, this draft is ready for generous, smart friends to sit in a room and read it out loud. And then I got more feedback and then the play grew. Like, I just, I just really believe, at least for me, like my work, I mean, the, the solitary time is necessary and it's also my therapy and so important. And I love it and have grown to love it more so also as I've gotten older. I think I've also learned when to, when to stop in taking feedback. Cause I can be a little feedback cuckoo. I can be like anyone who has any thought at all. Like, let me know. I'll think about it. I'll incorporate it. And it's like, okay, like Natalie, like also listen calmly and take what's only necessary. And that was definitely a lesson I've learned. That's very valuable. And I think Kenyon taught me how to listen to notes, which I'm feel very grateful for. But I think in moments in New York, I probably lost my way with that a little bit. And I've, I think I've recentered in that, but Yeah. Yeah. I collaboration for me is, is, and and the idea that community is built off something that you made or like thought of. And that, that is like, I've had just spurts of that feeling and I don't think I've ever felt anything better in some ways, like just that other people are making something that's so close to you their own. Like when actors feel ownership, when the director feels ownership, And then you're building like a home for everyone because of this thing that you needed to process. That's what I love. And that's what's like deeply meaningful for me in writing and then sharing.
0: That's so beautiful. And I think it's really true. I mean, obviously the text is the foundation upon which the house is built. I want to ask you though, you see, you seem like there's so much joy that comes in the sharing and seeing other people react to it But also, I imagine, because your plays, as you have said, are a form of therapy for you and how you work things out in your own life, do you ever get nervous about sharing what seems like an intimate part of yourself with the world?
1: Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: (laughs) Good answer. Good answer. 100%
1: Well, you're not a playwright who
0: writes, like, you know, about – like there's an Edward Albee play that I was recently reading about that's like lizards, like everyone's lizards, yeah. and yeah, that maybe of course like have been Edward Albee like working something out in his own life in an obscure way, but having read and worked with some of your work, like it's a lot easier to map onto your life.
1: Yeah, which is stressful. To, for me sometimes. When I acted in my own work, which I've stopped doing, but I did that at the beginning.
0: I was going to ask, With, were you in The Power Punctuation when, when it was in New York?
1: I was, yeah.
0: I didn't know. Yeah. A dramatic debut for Natalie.
1: And I... I remember actually my my playwriting professor at Kenyon being like I want you I love that you're acting in it but I also wish you could experience it fully as a playwright in the room and kind of sit back or not sit back but but sort of you know take everything in of what you made and I think that what I realized is that acting in my own work also gave me a sense of control over it and made me feel a little less vulnerable in sharing because I knew the rhythm that I felt worked and I could like, it, it, it was like I, the, the first experience I had of not acting in my own work and sharing that work was the most nervous I've ever been in my entire life. Like acting in, in my own work was also a really difficult for me because as someone who felt very comfortable on stage her whole life, I, I found myself very split brained and not necessarily having the tools to be like, like, I felt my performance was very inconsistent because I was either completely in it or I was like, I wrote this and how's the audience feeling about it? Like, should I edit this? Scene? You know, I, I didn't, and I didn't, I think that's a tool, a, a toolkit that I just didn't develop. I haven't developed. And maybe I, acting, you know, is something I might love to do later, but right now it just isn't what I'm drawn to. And I think the first time that I had, like, a full cast of actresses and habit my play and me just sitting outside I, I mean, it, it was excruciating and, and also the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And I like felt in that moment, I really, and I also, it was a play. I mean, it's, that play was on reading at Faultline Theater and I, and all those act the actresses were amazing. And it's, you know, there's five women in that play. It's an ensemble piece And I feel like a very great responsibility to all those characters to just fully look out for all of them and to take care of all of them. And that can only be done with me not in the play. And also that's a play that's, I don't know, like it might've been hard to be in also, but yeah. I feel very, yeah, it's sharing my own work. I, 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 is, is to answer your question just simply that, which I haven't done, but yeah, it's very hard.
0: Um, you have, you have completely answered the question. I, I can only, ima- I can't even imagine because I remember the first time I directed, which was in college, sort of on a whim, being like, well, they're letting people direct. Let's, I've been acting. Let's see if I can do this. And I did You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Shout out to that amazing cast, and truly, it was it was the most fun. But I remember the first show, I sat up in the light booth because we were hashtag sold out. But I sat up in the light booth, and I, it was excruciating. I was on the edge of my seat. I was felt like I was like, I mean, this is so embarrassing, but I felt like I was like making the facial expressions that I wanted the actors to make as they were to, as they were <laughs> acting on stage. And anyone – the the people, the lighting designers who were in the booth who were with me, they were like, you're, we are f- afraid of you. You look psychotic when you're watching this play. So I think it's – I get it. I, and I, I assume it's much worse as a playwright. So I get I've it. I've seen
1: but. a lot of playwrights mouth their – I've been in, like, where they are mouthing. Is, and no shade to anyone that does that, I totally understand. But I think that, like, that's a thing where it's – they're just – I don't even know if people are aware that they're doing it because it's such a sense of, like, it's like needing to feel, you can't disconnect from it because you're so nervous about it and need to feel connected to it in some way. And you're just fully in it, mouthing or facial expressions or whatever it may be. I think that's very normal.
0: Totally, totally. and. Yeah, because as you say, it's like lifting literally like your diary entry or like thoughts that you have never shared with anyone else in any other circumstance. And then suddenly an audience is watching it and in some ways judging it. So I I mean, yeah. more power to those people. You mentioned when you were talking about All Nighter and several other times you've sort of alluded to the fact that you tend to be drawn to work with women and write stories by and for and about women. And that was obviously something I was drawn to about your work. So I'd love to ask how that came to be. Was it a conscious decision? Like, I don't think this is done enough. Or was it just natural because that's what you're interested in?
1: I think it was a combination. I think, but I think, you know, it was the first play I wrote was written out of a need for a part that I we couldn't find, th- that me and my friend couldn't find. I wanted We're to write some rules yeah that I would want to play. Like I wanted to write really complex roles for women that like I would want to be in, but now I don't feel that urge to be in them and I'm like that I you know I just, yeah, and it's write what you know also. I think a lot of the formative relationships in my life have been like with I have, you know, with my female friends. And that dynamic that I'm constantly parceling through of like, what is female friendship is a theme that I think runs through everything I work on. Yeah. It's never been like a conscious. I think when I talk about my work, I have to bring that up because it's like my intent is to write like complex female characters, but also it's never been a choice. It's just what's happened and what would happen. Like I'm never writing being like, and what should I write about now I'm writing because I'm that because I'm thinking about something or I'm thinking about a dynamic or I'm thinking about an event and I'm trying to find my way into it. And lots of the time I had, there's, there you know, lots of the time the characters just happen to be a uh, female. That's what I would say. also.
0: Yeah. That being said, you did say that You know, the original impetus for this thesis show you wrote that then went off Broadway was because you were looking for these complex roles for women and there weren't. Now that you write these stories and you're a female playwright, it definitely looks to me that even though there are some amazing female playwrights obviously working, it definitely seems like a male-dominated field, largely still. First of all, is that your experience? Do you think that it, it still feels like an anomaly to be a female playwright?
1: Like, yes and no. I think I've been really lucky that, I mean, yes, it's like a completely still male dominated field. It's, if you look at a lot of seasons, it tends to be like, you know, three to five kind of vibe. Like it's not, yes, you know, like that's, there's still a like gender inequality within like the field of playwriting for sure. I think I've been really lucky that a lot of people I've worked for and interned for and assisted for in my years in New York have been female playwrights and directors. And I've been sort of, you know, exposed to and immersed in, in a lot of female-oriented and female-driven work. And there's so many great young female playwrights out there that are pushing and are trying and are getting produced. And that's really exciting and important. And I'm excited for more and more of them to have their work shown.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think you hit the nail on the head, with which is that the crucial next step is to get them produced and see work that speaks to our experiences in that way. And something that you mentioned earlier and that I really loved about All Nighter is this like complicated nature of the female experience, specifically with female friendship, because I think so often in pop culture when you think female story or women's story, it's very like, kumbaya, everyone sort of braiding each other's hair and talking about boys. And obviously, that's not how life is all the time, sometimes, but not all the time. First of all, do you think it's important to you to depict both sides of the coin of this special female relationship? And why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, I because I find that to be truthful. Like I don't, I find the most complicated dynamics I've been in in my life have been with female friends that I'm like working to untangle. And I think that something that I think about all the time is, you know, well, there's this line from the Heidi Chronicles, which was mentioned earlier, but when I, that always sticks with me. I remember seeing it, I guess it was 2015. I want to say I might get that year wrong, but my parents were in town and we went to see the Heidi Chronicles. And I'd never seen it nor read it. And I was going through a little bit of a rough time in my adjustment to New York and friendships. And I like had was kind of getting over this boy that was with this other girl. I don't know. I was feeling I was in a, I was in my feelings. A lot of things were going on in my body. And I was watching this show, and then there's this monologue in the Heidi Chronicles, and there's this line where she's like, I'm envying women I don't even know. I'm envying women I don't even like. And I thought the whole point was that we were supposed to be in this together. And that's a line that's just sort of, I mean, I, it, I got very, very emotional because it seemed to sort of, it like, felt like I was just being looked in the eye and told exactly what I feel. And that's power of theater when it can be that cathartic. But I, I think this also idea, like, that female friendship is, is somehow – always easier that it's easy for women to support other women is false I think it's hard we're in a society that fosters competition and it's and there's a lot up against that harmony that's both societal and interpersonal and it's something that's on my mind a lot so it's something I'm parceling through a lot in my writing and I think you know I I have like a ama- not I have like amazing friends. I love all my friends, but it's like normal to have you know complicated dynamics and and experiences that make you pause or that hurt you. Yeah, completely.
0: And yes, completely. You mentioned first of all I got chills when you were reciting that line from the Heidi Chronicles. Such an amazing mm-hmm. line. And so yeah. true to life. You mentioned obviously Wendy Wasserstein. Are there other major influences on you artistically, especially ones that you think sort of inform either how you write
1: or how you talk about women when you write? Ooh. This is a good question. I feel like I've been touched by a lot of separate theatrical experiences that feel very formative to my relationship to the theater or my understanding of the theater, you know, like In college, I remember being exposed to Pinter and reading The Lover, and there was something about the game in that play and the rhythm of that play that has always stuck with me, I think, as far as kind of opening up what a play can be. Yeah, I just, that was, like, a very formative play. I mean, I did, yeah, I don't, I mean, seeing, like, Ming Pfeiffer's Usual Girls off-Broadway a few years ago, like, that was an experience in the theater where I feel like I just buckled up my seatbelt and I was like I could sit here forever I just loved it so much and felt everything she was circling and exploring and the way it was done and the cast and the direct I mean all of it I was like oh like I you know I, I bring this play up a lot yeah I when I saw Hand to God however many years ago by Robert Askins and I was like there was something about the playwriting in that that was you know a boy needed something from his mother and then at the end of the play, he got what he needed. And it just was like one of those plays that also reminded me what good writing is and to, you know, like a need and then g- going through something and then getting that need met. And it was so simple and so moving and so human so that always stuck with me. Yeah. I mean, I could like list a lot of, you know, our town was like super formative in high school and then became super formative later as well in a different way. And Like the theatricality of curious Incident* stuck with me, you know? Yeah. I, yes. So many, many. I could so businesses. many. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's funny when I remember when I first read All Nighter, the first other piece of, art that I thought of and first other writer that I thought of funnily enough was Elena Ferrante obviously really different and different medium but similar exploration of the complexity of female friendship I mean that's what she's writing about in every novel even though that they're different and I would take any novel she wrote anytime so obviously that's a compliment and you were mentioning it before when we were recording like George Saunders. So like, obviously you, Oh yeah. It's other, it's other types of writing too, right? Like fiction totally. and poetry and that kind of stuff.
1: Totally. And also, I mean, a form that I'm very intimidated by that I find like, like stand up and narrative one person. Like I just saw Alex Edelman's show yesterday. Oh at the Cherry yeah.
0: Lane. How was that?
1: Um, it was excellent. It was excellent. And it's the, and I was sitting there being like this type of, joke telling and storytelling I I I find so there's nothing more satisfying than when that's done well and I think it's I have so much respect I think it's so hard and I just am also yeah I love like love the experience of watching someone do that and do that expertly that's a form I'm like kind of always fascinated by and like at some point in my life want to like try to figure that out but that feels far away also because it's so hard
0: (laughs) It's so hard, but I will say that clearly because of your background in improv in college and because I've read your work and because I know you, humor and comedy are clearly baked into who you are. And even when you're writing like a super serious play, there are moments of amazing levity. Do you think that's conscious or that's just who you are? You're like a laughing comedy person, so it comes up.
1: I think it's pro- – I, I just don't know. I wouldn't know how to write something that's, like, straight drama. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like, I don't know. But that's also hard because then what if someone thinks it's not funny? Like, I don't know. I also don't – I remember – I mean, some of the most dramatic things I think I've written – are people are like it's a comedy and i'm like but it's also searing you know <laughs> i don't know i think also the the material i respond to the most like usual girls is a great example of extremely funny and extremely poignant like most things that i respond to are dramedy you know that's that that word I, it, you know that i think also if something i used to always say that i don't say as much anymore but i'm like if you never laughed, if you never know what's lost, like how can something fully feel like dr- dramatic or loss or an ending or a, a, something painful if you never attached joy to it? So like if I'm writing about the end of a friendship, you have to see the joy in the friendship to feel that the play matters. Right? like Mistakes, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's
0: that quote that's, maybe it's Mark Twain, I could be totally wrong, that's like, give comedy time and it becomes tragedy. I mean, they're all interrelated, of course.
1: Yeah.
0: You mentioned dramedy, which I immediately, when I hear the word dramedy, I think like TV and film because I feel like everything being made right now is a dramedy. And I know that you have been working on more TV stuff lately. So what has that experience been like for you? And can you tell us anything about what you're working on
1: that experience has been interesting I feel like I've learned a lot in the past few years about screenwriting and it's very different from playwriting as far as sort of I you know the process that I sort of depend on in playwriting I found I cannot depend on in tv and film which has been good a good lesson and I I have a few pots simmering I don't know if anything is worth mentioning at this time but check in late check in a little later you, hopefully and is um,
0: did you go into tv because i mean just having like a very sort of practical conversation i do feel like almost every playwright i know now has or does some version of tv work do you think that's just a necessity because you cannot make it work financially as a playwright today or do you think that's because Hollywood is that alluring? Like what 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 are you what's your opinion of that like trend?
1: I think it's a necessity. I think it's a necessity financially. But I also think what I've sort of felt as I've been working more in that world and learning more in that world is this sort of greater identity as a writer. And it's sort of like, if I view myself as a dramatic writer, I want to feel really well-equipped and well-read and for all mediums. And it's been really satisfying. And, and, and I, you know, am falling in love slowly with the process, you know, for what I, you know, a movie is for what a pilot is for what a series is. It's a different way of thinking about story than a play. And I've also found that when I go back to writing a play I'm like, oh, home, you know, like now I can just do my vomit, do my thinking, do this process that's just become a part of who I am. And TV and film, I feel like I'm growing as a writer in a way that feels correct, you know? It feels like if you want to, you know, wanting to be a dramatic writer and a storyteller, it feels really great to continue to feel like I have a hold on multiple mediums that all involve telling story. And it's all fascinating because it's all different vehicles through which to explore something. And I think the thing about a play that I was always drawn to and I, was, I used to be quite intimidated by TV and film with a play, I was like, I have a box and I just can put whatever I want in the box. And I can—I know it's a stage, it's a box. I have a vision for it. I think that way. I see that, you know, I just, it's, it, I was like, I can put whatever I want in the box. And then TV and film just visually, I'm like, well, they could go anywhere. Like, where would they go? Like, like what do you even start? Like, a bank? Like, what bank? You know, what is that? Like? I don't even know. Like, and I'm, like, I have, like, a visually, I'm, I don't know. I just think differently. I don't know. So that was a hurdle for me of just, like, how do I even anchor myself? And, like, if I want to tell this story, how do I tell it? And some the, a question that I also love and think about all the time with plays And now with TV and film as well is like, if I'm writing a play, why does this need to be a play? Right? Like, I feel like I see a lot of theater and I'm like, this was great, but also why did that need to be a play? And I think it's most satisfying for an audience if the writer has really answered that question. And I also think in thinking about a movie, why does this need to be a movie? And why does it need to be a TV show? Like, why should this story go on for seven seasons? That's a hard question. And it's an important question to have an answer to. And that's also such an amazing exercise and fun exercise in thinking about story. Like, what is the best way to explore what I want to explore? And then in what vehicle, you know, what car do you get in for that and why? And I think being really rooted in that is really always helpful also in whatever then you are going out to write.
0: Do you think that this, like, question of place and sort of the all accessness of TV and film is the biggest difference between writing for TV and film versus playwriting? What do you think are the big differences?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I think that, like, someone said this to me once. I, I think place is relevant, but I think what it's actually, like, the core of what you're exploring is the most important thing. And someone, I was working on a TV idea, and I was talking to a friend, and she was like, the key to a TV show is an, is that it's an an unanswerable question. You're asking an unanswerable question because then you need to have seven seasons. That's so to smart. That's so smart. And I think about it all the time. Chloe Circe, she said wow. that. <laughs> and, it, and I just, it's,
0: it's a play hopefully answers its question in the two hours or whatever it is.
1: Or I think a play can like leave, should leave you with a, You should experience something and then be... I mean, there's no shoulds to each their own as far as what kind of play they want to make. But I find it satisfying to leave the audience with something to go to dinner about and question and mull over and chew. And I think that, like, the... I think as far as... Like, when I had this idea for All Nighter, I initially had an idea for a TV show because I wanted it to be... I had an idea for an all-nighter in college and basically like one season would be one all-nighter. That doesn't necessarily have legs for many other seasons, but I thought that was like an interesting dramatic structure because I pulled so many all-nighters in college and I found them dramatically rich. Then I was talking about that premise and someone was like, well, inherently that's a play because it's like Aristotelian. It's one, it's unity of time and space. And you have something that happens at the beginning and then there's an event and, and, and something happens at the end. And there's something like, even though it's not necessarily the most like inherently theatrical, it also is completely inherently theatrical because of its unity of time and place, and because it's like centered around one event. Yeah, and then a movie I think is more similar to a play to some extent, and so visually I think that definitely comes into play as far as how, what what do you need to tell the story, and do you need you know how yeah. much space you need to tell the story.
0: You mentioned giving people something to like talk about at dinner after a play, a movie, whatever it is, even a TV show, I guess. So with your work, what do you hope audiences will come away thinking or feeling from your plays?
1: Oh, that's so hard. Um, I mean, obviously
0: it's different for every play, but it could be as simple as like having good conversation, questioning, whatever it is.
1: Yeah, quite. Well, I don't want to be prescriptive. So something that I'll say is after my first play went up at college, I remember being in the cafeteria the next day and there was like a group of kids that had all seen the play and they were chatting and they're like, "Nolly, Nolly, come here. And I was like, okay. And they were like, and the power punctuation is about two friends, Jenny and Fran. And they were like, are they friends the next morning? And half the table was like, they're never speaking again. And the other half of the table was like, they're definitely friends in the morning. And I was like, you know, great. You were in heaven. (laughs) I was complete heaven I was like tell me why you know ooh, you know and I think and that was really exciting to me and that was also maybe the question I brought into the question of that play was like does the casual hookup culture in college actively get in the way of a lot of female friends like can you have like casual sex with similar people like sex in college as it relates to female friendship And betraying each other and hurting each other in that way. And how much can we just get over and be okay? And it was interesting to me that half the table was like, it's definitely okay. And the other half was like, no. Whereas my playwriting professor, her note to me is like, you need a more specific ending on if they're friends or not the next morning. And I was like, I don't know yet. So I can't answer that.
0: Well, that was going to be my next question for you as someone who it seems like, and even from working on All Nighter, you and I had conversations about like, what happens after the play as being the question that you you are left with this play. Are they friends? Who gets over it? Whatever it is. But do you find it helpful for you yourself, the playwright to privately know the answer to this question or are you, should you also be wondering?
1: I think it's important for the play. As I've gotten a little older since power punctuation, I, I think, yeah, I think it, I think I should know. I think I should know in my intent as a writer, I think that the actors and the directors should be able to make a choice. And maybe it will align with my choice. But I also think like if an actress decides otherwise, that's okay. There's that, you know, like I, I, I think I should know and I think I should do all I can in the writing to put that there. But I also think, and it's like what I, yeah, I just think, leaving space for an actor to decide also and for a director to decide is important as well. I don't know. I'm kind of the exciting well, yeah, part this, of
0: it. Yeah, there's this space. I mean, that's partially what makes playwriting, I imagine, so nerve-wracking and frustrating sometimes. It's almost like parenthood. Like, you've nurtured this thing into being and then suddenly you have... you. Especially in order to be a good and collaborative playwright, you have to let it go. And sometimes yeah. the character's aren't going to be exactly as you pictured. And the director's choices aren't going to be exactly as you pictured. Mm -hmm. And in some ways that's beautiful because it's going to become this whole other artistic thing that you couldn't even imagine that is somewhat separate from what you originally imagined on the page. So I think that's really true.
1: I think also working with directors is so exciting. Like I, I think I sort of, maybe this is repetitive from what I said earlier, but I just think the joy of, someone coming in and infusing your work with something that you didn't know was in there, which is also is, or, you know, there's nothing, it's that's the process. That's the collab. (laughs) That's what makes it that, you know, to build it, to make it 3d, to make it alive. Like that it it becomes something that's not yours in a really important way. And yeah, I think that's crucial.
0: I agree. and I think one of the most, having worked on new plays and musicals, I think probably the most important relationship in the room is that between the director and the playwright, because
1: yeah.
0: they're just feeding off of each other and making this, as you say, new thing together. I think it's so special. And and if that relationship is strong and if they're both bringing like different things, it can be so beautiful. We've talked a lot about Form and creativity and process. But I want to ask a bit about like the nuts and bolts of career stuff. We talk a sure. lot on this show about the difficult trajectory of being like an actor or even a director, or a designer. But because I haven't really had a lot of playwrights, I'm curious, it seems like in some ways an even more obscure career path or trajectory than being an actor or director. How have you found it to be? What has the road been like for you?
1: Winding. A winding road. <laughs> a long road. and winding
0: road, as Paul
1: McCartney would and say. A long and winding road. I think that I had... I don't know, it's been interesting. I had you know, I was, I sort of had this pop of success two years out from college, right? And it was with the same team I'd built this play with. And the play only happened because I was interning for a producer who then was like, I want to read your work, read my play and was like, we got to put this on and kind of rallied the team. And, you know, it be And then it was like the New York Times came and all of a sudden it was like, I was like, oh, this is like, maybe I can actually do this, you know? And then, you know, amidst that, there's of course like a ton of nanning and a ton of assisting and a ton of like, I only had one play, you know? And I was working on my second and I was extremely green. And it's like, okay, I had one play and now I needed – Tried another play, and you know, I I I, there was a lot more growing for me to do as a writer, and also building for me to do as a writer. And so in that time, like in I've I've worked I've I I have worked in so many different areas. Like I've interned for a producer, I like interned at a casting place, I've assisted directors, and I've assisted playwrights, and I have cared for a lot of children, and I have done a lot of my own readings in a living room and, and also done a lot of been lucky to be part of like different festivals or workshops. And, you know, I'm now working hopefully towards the next production, proper production, but it's, it's, it's hard to love. I mean, candidly, it's like, it's something we talk about often as friends. It's hard to, to love something so much and have something be so a part of your identity and also have, your career be that as well when the career is a long and winding path so I think the nuts and bolts of being a playwright there's no formula you know there's no you do this then you do that and then you do that and like the way my career has unfolded and the things I've been I've been able to do and the opportunities that have opened like I can't you know I was at a random thing where I met a random person and then that person did like it's so it's so I think about believing in yourself honestly but also being like really open to experience and meeting people and pushing and I've had so many meetings not so many but I've had like a few conversations in my life where I feel like you know the wind's knocked out of you a little bit and you're like you don't get my work and maybe I can't do this and then it's like okay no like the person I the I I have to believe that I have something to say which feels kind of insane sometimes because then you can spiral and be like, I don't know. It's, it's complicated. And it, it's, it's complicated also when you have to be like your own champion most of the time. And I think for playwrights, like you just, you know, you have, you have to keep writing and you have to push through and you have to keep trying. Um, It's funny
0: though, because in preparing for this interview, obviously the word playwright was pulsing through my head and I was thinking about how, like, (laughs) in some ways, if I were a playwright, I would have insecurity about, like, saying I was a playwright to random people because in some ways it sounds like a fossilized job, like being, like, a court jester or, like, a portrait painter or whatever it is do you ever feel that way? And, and then separately, do you believe that? Like, is that why so many people are doing TV as well? Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's a good question. When I say I'm a playwright to people that I meet, I definitely sometimes feel like I'm putting on a hat.
0: Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, a playwright. I'm, yeah, like I am an artiste with a pen. Like I, it's, it's, <laughs> It's cuckoo. And then people are like, you make money from that? And it's like, well, what a rude question, you know? <laughs>
0: right. No one would ever ask a doctor or a lawyer if they made money from that.
1: Yeah. Like, like, is that actually – is that your day job? Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I definitely think – I think the to, to only be a playwright, I actually don't really know anyone that's only a playwright as far as, like, how they make a living. Pony If you're they, if out there, like, let me know. Like, I would love to know. But <laughs> – yeah yeah but
0: at a certain point like I love that like you are a playwright just because you also write for tv or also you know occasionally I don't know babysit or whatever it is doesn't make you not a playwright like that that is what you are so own it
1: oh yeah yeah I feel I feel ownership over that like I feel like it's kind of like oops that's it like that's what I do like that, that, it's just who I am and it's what I do and it's and it's and I you know as the years have gone on I just feel like more strongly associated with that identity I feel most myself when I'm in when I'm in a room as a playwright in the room like and that is a really overwhelming feeling to feel kind of like something in you is clicking together when you get to be in that position but yeah
0: know. this is such a nerdy like linguistics Katie thing to say and I'll probably cut it but even in thinking about the word playwright with that it's not how we usually spell right and it's I-G-H-T there's something about that I think that's partially why you feel like you're like putting on a hat quote-unquote when you say it but there's also something about that that feels like it's not just like intellectual writing like something about the word right because it sounds more like meld or create you know what I mean it's more like you're like physically creating a play like you're hammering a play into place I don't know I think it's it's cool does that make any sense
1: totally totally there's something very like visceral and tactical and it's it's molding tactical, play yeah yeah, yes, yeah. exactly you know, there's a live thing and it's exactly yeah
0: Yeah, I need to look up more about like, the origin of the word itself. Yeah, Yeah. because I also know, when I worked at the Hunter College playwriting department, there was always like confusion within the department about whether the verb was spelled with the GH or just regular. It's interesting. One of my last questions for you before yes. we move on to our ending segment, sort of similar to what we were discussing before. Do you have any advice for aspiring playwrights who may be listening or especially aspiring female playwrights who may be listening?
1: I think learning how to listen to how people respond to your work is extremely important. And I think remaining... Ex- remaining open and not shut off to criticism or feedback is will only probably will only help your work grow but also knowing when someone actually just didn't get it and not to let them into your process as a female playwright who's written about fe- i have a play called Tutu's. It's, it's a coming-of-age story about a young woman in, in relationship to her grandfather and both characters processing trauma and and my understanding of my grandpa as I grew older and how he processed his trauma. But it's a coming-of-age about a young woman. It's also in the form... I use improv as sort of a form, and it's a kind of a memory play. And, and I had a meeting of someone who really responded to the play, but he also said to me, this play's too small for my theater. And that's not like the first time something I've written about a woman coming of age has been called small. And I was also once like, I was, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I, I and I just, if you're writing about something that's true to you and you're exploring something that's meaningful to you, please always ignore that, freaking word (laughs) because it's used all the time. There's so many plays about men coming of age. Literally almost all plays are about men coming of age. (laughs) Do not let somebody tell you that you're growing up and your understanding of yourself is small, particularly if you're female or female identifying because there are not enough stories. Like I had someone once say to me, I said, I wanted to write complex roles for women. And I had someone an older man say to me, aren't there, that's a lame answer, basically, there are already a lot of complex roles for women. And I was like, but the piles aren't even and I'm interested in adding to the pile. But if you're a young woman, and you're writing about something that's true to your heart, please continue doing it and feedback that calls your place small. That was just a word I had to really unlock, like every time someone would say that to me about anything I'd written, not that I have like a grandiose, like, no, what I'm writing is big, but also like, I believe in what I have to say and what I'm processing. And I've had enough response to know that what I'm circling resonates with other people and means something to them. So so I reject the idea that the coming of age of a girl is small. I really reject it.
0: And who's to say that like a story about a family dealing with alcoholism in the Midwest is any bigger than right. a group of friends dealing with sex, drugs, and alcohol and coming of age in college is. Like, that. that's... And almost every one of those big sort of iconic American family plays I think people think of as big even though they are in, like, the domestic sphere. It's so funny. I mean, it's and it's so frustrating how long that kind of stuff has been going on. It, the language has shifted, but even, like... I wrote my thesis in college about Jane Austen and so I had to read a lot of literary criticism of her work across the decades. And it's only really recently that people started to appreciate Jane Austen and in the past they would be like, oh, she's good, but she's a domestic writer. You know, mm-hmm. she's writing about the drawing room and and the parlor and because that stuff is taking place in the drawing room and the parlor, it's not worthy of big critics and that's the exact same thing as a male producer telling you that your play is small now it's because it's a woman and because they're talking about like who likes who and not about like war that that's unworthy.
1: and what was ironic to me about that comment not but i was like there's it's i actually this is about my grandpa who's like also was in the war (laughs) it's about his literally also
0: about war
1: (laughs) Yeah, it centers around you know the relationship. You know, it's it, the vehicle through which I explore it is like the coming of age of a fifteen-year-old girl. So, uh,
0: I think I saw that, didn't I, at like a reading in like Oh, Chelsea. you did see a reading about? Yeah, 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 yeah. You did see a reading
1: about. It,
0: it was great. Um, I really liked it. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I think that's really good advice. Sorry, did you have one other thing to say?
1: No, just that the play I most recently wrote in the, before I, I recently turned 30 and before I turned 30, I was like, I need to write one more play in my twenties. And <laughs> I wrote it, and it amidst a lot of feeling and it's called my dinner party play. and sort of a parody of a dinner party play. But so much of what I think I'm struggling with in that play is sort of this typical idea of a dinner party play and the politics that men tend to discuss at the dinner. And then just how a woman's voice and frustrations fit into that and how to write that play.
0: At some point, I was going to ask what you're working on now. Can you share? So you're working on that. Is there anything else you can about, share
1: with us? Yeah, I'm working on a play called Bed, Bath & Beyond right now. With I have a commission with Colt Kerr, and I'm working on it with Adrian Campbell-Holt, who's a wonderful director. And that's about my relationship with my grandma, who I'm very close with, who's 101. <laughs> And amazing, and I live. I spent two years of the pandemic living with her, and in the second year of the pandemic, she got very, very sick. She didn't get COVID, but she had a lot of her heart was failing her, and sent my house into a bit of a crisis. And I had a very like overwhelming experience of grief and sadness in those in those times. And the only thing I could do was write, and so I wrote and vomited a draft about a girl and her grandma sitting at a bedside where her and and that was a vomit diary entry and Adrian read it. And really I'm so grateful that she was saw something in there and now we're building that play together. And so yeah, so that's what I'm working on right now.
0: That sounds amazing. And also I mean from a director's standpoint, just such an amazing opportunity. Cause something I I've talked about with a playwright I'm working on right now is like for every role that there is for, like, a 20-something woman, there just, like, are none for older actresses. totally. totally. None. so I'm so glad you're – I know it's right what you know so hard for you to sort of step into the shoes of an older woman as someone who hasn't experienced it, but because of your relationship with your grandma, I just think it's a great opportunity for roles that aren't necessarily 16-year-olds.
1: Totally, totally. Yeah, and I, I felt after we spoke about – how I write about women and female friendship and stuff. I uh, I thought a few minutes later how I wish I had mentioned, like I'm also really interested in like intergenerational relationships between women. And that's particularly, I think a part of that is also because of my relationship with my grandma um, who was born in 1920 and her relationship to what it is to be a woman in this world is very different to mine. And she's also, she's just the strongest, most, independent. I mean, I, it, it's very easy to write her because her voice is in my head and I has been in my head since I was born. So I feel really grateful that I'm given the opportunity with Colt Card to like really delve into that and hopefully build a, a role for, yeah, an amazing older actress.
0: You're going to make me cry. That's so beautiful about someone's voice being in your head. I think that's so true. And what a testament to your relationship with your grandma because... I think, Very yeah, nice. the only people whose voices I can really hear in my head are, like, my parents and maybe, like, my best friend, two best friends that I grew up with since I was eight. Shout out to them. Yeah. Before I get too weepy, I like to always end the episodes with a segment called the Thank You Five segment, which is five rapid-fire questions. So just answer off the top of your head, Very like, easy. the votes 73 three. You can plead the fifth if you don't want to answer, but hopefully you will. It's not that controversial. It's not controversial. First, do you have a top three favorite plays of all time? Ah!
1: This is my scariest question. (laughs) I like, for sentiment, like, oh, I don't know. I mean,
0: it doesn't have to be like objectively the best plays in the world. It can just be like three plays that I return to a lot.
1: I mean, I gotta be truthful. I gotta say Our Town because it formed a big part of me when I was 18. I mean, like, you know, Into the Woods, I know, you know, we're maybe, you know, that play musical is something that is similar. Like our town, I have these lines in my head that always stick with me, like, it goes so fast, we don't even have time to look at one another like do human beings ever really look at each other or do human beings ever realize life while they live it every, every minute, like the saints and the poets, maybe they do. Like, these are things that stay in my head into the woods. I did that for the first time. when I was five years old. I was Rapunzel. When I was 10 years old, I was the baker. And then when I was in high school, I was Jack's mom. And I talked the songs because at that point I realized I couldn't sing, but I was, you know, given the opportunity to play Jack's mom a gift, but like into the woods, they, like lines from No One Is Alone, like it's in a lot of my play, you know. It's if you are towned into the woods, are kind of trickled in lots of things that I write. And also like nice is different than good. I think about that all the time, particularly in relationship to female. And women and nice is different than good. And sometimes people leave you halfway through the woods, you know. I'm going to say those two, just from my childhood and my fo- formative years, before I realized I wanted to be a playwright, before I was even explode, exposed to, like a lot of other great plays, Those are, like, on my body and won't
0: leave my life. I think that's beautiful. And one of which we've talked about on the pod. So, fabulous. There are a lot of friends of the pod who are fans of The Grain Into the Woods. Of course. You're not going to like this one either because it's similar. But do you have three, one or two or three female playwrights who have been particularly influential on you?
1: Like definitely but it's hard I, I... Paula Vogel Disney decent I probably should have mentioned that also as a theatrical experience that really stuck like how I learned to drive obviously but Paula Vogel I'd say I mean I'd say because of the my experience with Heidi like definitely Wendy, Wendy Wasserstein and all you know as of late like I mean I I love Claire Barron, but also seeing usual girls again, like I've brought it up before, but I Ming Pfeiffer's work in that play like really stuck with me and continues to stick with me. I love that.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's an untapped subject for a play that you're thinking about or that you would love to write about someday?
1: An untapped subject for a play. It's about perspective. There are so many stories we haven't heard through certain lenses and perspectives and identities. And that's what's missing. Like there's like the fundamentals of what most things are about love you know I could I've like literally came up with the other day I was like I want to write up something called strong female dentist it's like a joke I have with my friend that one day I'm gonna write something called strong female dentist but it's like that's fine like i like that's not a good like, okay sure write strong female dentist but like the the you know there's so so much that hasn't been on stage as I was saying earlier that we've seen a lot of men grow up that's what we've seen on stage a lot of coming of age for men but we ha- there's like obviously like with the inequity in the theater that like the what we've been reckoning with, like there's so, so, so much that hasn't been on stage. But to me, I don't think about it as topic. I think about it as perspective and lens and vehicle. And there are millions and thousands of things that we haven't seen through a certain lens, perspective, or vehicle that we need to.
0: I think that's a really smart answer. I probably just would have been like, well, you know, I'm dying to write my play about a, <laughs> that's like a parody of a talkback. That's like a talk, a play.
1: Oh, yes. Talkback for yes. a play that doesn't okay. happen. Well, happened. But, for the first you know. time, I was like, I want to write a dinner party play. Like, that's been a thing in my head for a few years. Like, got to write a dinner party play, got to write a dinner party play. And I had like an idea for all these like thing. And then like, before I turned 30, I was like, I'm writing the dinner party play. So now I feel like I've checked that off. But there's a million dinner party plates. You know what I mean? Of
0: course, of course.
1: Yes. Stay tuned. We'll
0: see. We'll see. Do you have a favorite thing about their relationship between women?
1: Yeah. I think that when you are loved by a best friend who perhaps is a woman, like there's like an intimacy to some female friendship and care Care, like love and care like you know my best friend in the world is Gracie I love shout shout out to Gracie shout and I so, love her so much I haven't really written about her because it's like pretty good friendship but I
0: <laughs> Yes
1: <laughs> um but I I feel like there are just so many moments in this life and like particularly when I was like dealing with what well, I thank God, my grandma made it through that hard time. But when I thought she wasn't going to make it, you know, there's the support that you can have, like just this idea, like, well, I have like Gracie through for my life. So I'm going to be okay. You know, like that feeling of just like, I don't know, family and dedication and love and like support and care. I don't know. And chosen family, chosen family. And I have that with a lot of, I could name other people too that I feel that way with, of course. But
0: I love there- to hate on sex in the city, but it's, I mean, it's the most true moment when Carrie's at the diner and she's like, maybe the loves of my life are you guys. And these men are just like fun people who go in and out. I mean, people love to spoof that now, but I think yeah, it's yeah. a problem. Right. Wisdom. My last thank you five, I yeah. ask almost everyone this, and you can take this very literally or very metaphorically a playwright's essential. So it could be literally like a laptop to write on, or it could be metaphorically like spunk or like a sense of identity or something like that.
1: You know, it's, I, it's hard because I think the temperament and the rhythm and the way in which people go about writing is so, is so personal and so different. Like the, my when you first said that, the first thing that came to my mind is like a candle because I like to light a candle next to when I, I write, that. like something very alive. And one time I lit my hair on fire, which was terrible while I was writing. Oh my <laughs> gosh! see so first if you use a candle. But I, for me, it's like I need to have a candle next to my laptop when I'm working. I, I don't do it all the time, but I, but it's something that feels yeah. That's kind of my personal little essential.
0: I love that. It's very Shakespeare in love.
1: Oh. Yeah, I guess.
0: Writing, writing by candlelight. In the light. <laughs> <I love laughs> no, but I get have. it. I'm, yeah. Exactly. I'm such a candle person too. I get it. It like pu- immediately puts you in this reverie internal mood that I think is really useful and beautiful. So clearly we're both candle people. So if you're interested in writing, go out and get candles. Totally. Um, Natalie, this was so fun and amazing and I knew it would be one of my favorite conversations in the pod is there anything you feel like I've missed I know we're only sort of barely scratching the surface anything you want to plug anything like that
1: I feel like I don't I don't feel like there's anything I feel like this was so lovely and fun and thank you for this Sunday morning of like theater chat it was the best
0: truly I'm I'm sad we couldn't do it in person but Nothing better than having your hot water with lemon and the snow on the ground outside and chatting about truly some of my favorite subjects theater and like female identity and friendship.
1: Yeah. The best. Lovely. I finished my coffee. Lovely.
0: Oh, lovely. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. Um, thank you, Call Time listeners, again, for all of your support and loyalty. I'm sure you enjoyed this conversation with Natalie as much as I did. If you did, please like, rate, and subscribe and tell all your friends. And as always, you know, DM me or send me a message and tell me what you like and what you want to see. I always enjoy hearing from you. And next week, we have a really amazing guest as well to be announced soon. Thank you so much.